Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would please turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be discussing more than one verse this morning as I continue to break my record of doing more than one verse on a Sunday. Starting in verse 15. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Just a reminder of our theme. This is the eternal purpose. And today we are talking about being enlightened. Literally full of light. So Ephesians 1 Verse 15 says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, today, Lord, we need our hearts opened. We need our eyes opened. Lord, the darkness of sin has clouded. Lord, and we need to be enlightened by your Spirit. We need to be revealed and made open and aware of your glory and the light of the world that is our Savior, the only light we can follow or trust in that will lead us on the path of righteousness. Lord, we ask this Uh, for ourselves today and our loved ones, Lord, open our eyes, open our minds and our hearts that we would love you and glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we look at Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, Paul's going off the previous verses from last Sunday of being sealed. Because you have been sealed, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now that's an important point. Christians should be uh, known for loving others, loving their neighbor, loving their enemies. That's the key witness of Christianity. In fact, when all someone knows about a church is how mean they are and judgy and all that kind of stuff, then we can see a lack of love there that should not be. In fact, what we should hear is, man, that church, they'll love you no matter who you are or what you are or what you've done. That's what the reputation of a church should be. Not that we put up with things, because sometimes we have to tough love, don't we? Sometimes I have to say, I love you by sending you out the doors because you won't behave. That has to happen sometimes. We have to do tough love, but it's still love. Still love. He says, because I heard of this, because I know you love all the saints, you love the brethren, you love the sisters, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Now, that's a really good review or recommendation of a church. The church in Ephesus right now just got a review by the Apostle Paul. I give thanks for this place because they loved, they loved me, they loved others. Don't you want that Yelp review underneath your church? I give thanks for this place because they loved me. That's what Paul's saying. I don't even cease to give thanks. I keep doing it. And here's even better than giving thanks. Verse 16, remembering you in my prayers. Now, let's talk about remembering each other in prayer. If you would, turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 9. Paul and his prayers to God. Now, Paul, being an apostle, does have a special category here of receiving revelation from God and the Holy Spirit. He's giving scripture to the church. So his prayers, right, are excellent because he literally has the Holy Spirit given him scripture to write down. He's an apostle. But you and I, not being apostles, we can still be prayer warriors for others. We can still remember each other in prayer. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul again says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We must remember that praying for others is just as important as praying for ourselves. Remembering each other in prayer is literally lifting each other up to God and saying, Lord, remember Michael Delapoli who's having open heart surgery. Remember this other loved one. Remember this other person. Remember this lost person that I love and I want them to convert. I want them to repent and they haven't yet. I give them to you. I lift them to you. But look what he says. Paul doesn't say, we have not ceased to pray that you would bend your church traditions to ours. Paul does not say, we have not ceased to pray for you that you would agree that we're right in everything. He doesn't say, we have not ceased to pray that you guys are a bunch of heretics and we got to get you right. <laughs> what does Paul say? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of whose will? Christ's will. In spiritual wisdom and understanding. We'll talk about wisdom in a second. But this idea of praying for somebody, not that they'll agree with us or think like us or act like us or be like us, but they'll be like Christ. That's what we're praying for. And that might be kind of a moment where you look at me and go, well, yeah, duh, that's, you know, we're supposed to. But guys, too often, we're actually just wanting somebody to act the way we act. Right? We, are, we have a culture and it's very lovely and we're just, we want people to sort of bend to that. And that's not right. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants people to conform to his image, not an image we have constructed. And that image we constructed may not be sinful. But if it's not directly Jesus Christ, who is it helping? Who is it profiting? Who is it encouraging? I say no one. We want others to be filled up with the will of God. That's what he's saying here. I want God's will, God's thoughts, God's desires, God's opinions, God's sense of morality in you. That's what I want. Not my sense of morality, not my sense of how things ought to be, but God's. And why is that so important? Because my sense is corrupted by sin. No matter how good, smart, mature, educated, how fancy I am, my ideas and opinions and thoughts are corrupted by evil. That's the part we don't like to talk about very often. It's always those sinners over there, those worldly people over there. You and I have a root of darkness in us. Romans says that was conceived in iniquity, quoting Psalms. Conceived. None who does good. No, not one. Quoting Psalms 12. We have this in us, all of us. And instead of covering that up, Instead of burying our heads in the sand spiritually, we instead ought to say, yes, I am that way. But I have a Savior who is not. I have a Lord who is not. I have a, 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 a Holy One filled with perfect light, and He's the one I follow. My light's dark and dim. My little light bulb swaying on the string is about to go out, but not Him. Not Him. That's the will I want us to be filled with. That's what I'm praying for. So often in my prayers... I have to remind even myself to say, Lord, your will for Joppa, not what I think. Because what I think is just what I think. And it may be good, bad, sinful, not sinful. Who knows? But we know your will is never bad, never sinful, never wrong, and only holy. That's what we want. That's what we should want. We are called to pray for each other so that 
as the church, we walk worthy. Look at Colossians 1.10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We want to measure up. There is a standard here. And instead of lowering it and saying, well, you know, just come as, come as you are, act as you are, stay as you are. No. Come as you are, yes, but you don't stay that way. No one in the true church stays the way they came in. They change. They convert. They conform to the image of the Christ. We are called to pray that this happens. I love this, some of this imagery of prayer. I'm, even, I'm excited about the next text, so I'm getting ahead of myself. When someone stumbles, we are not the ones called to judge or leave them behind. God is the judge. God will cast out the true wicked ones in his time. It's not our job. Our job is to test the Spirit, see what is of God, and love and lift up in prayer. When someone falls, someone stumbles, we're not the ones who goes, Ha, I knew it. Because what we're really saying is, I knew I was better than you. We're just like the Pharisees now. Lord, thank you. I'm not like this poor sinner. We are the sinner. We are the one asking God to forgive us. Instead of judgment or leaving them behind, we lift them up. If we are to bear spiritual fruit, if we're vines in the vineyard of God, prayer is the rain. It comes from heaven, and we need it to grow. I love this. I love this idea because without prayer, you and I are having a one-sided conversation with God. We're missing out on God's will. We're missing out on the joy of being a Christian. And we're saying, I know better. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, no one can do me a better kindness in this world than to pray for me. Than to pray for me. See, the world has that backwards. They're even criticizing us now because we send thoughts and prayers when a disaster happens. And the average person on the street, if somebody came up to the church and asked me for money, they'd much rather have a 20 than meet my prayers. They really would. Because their hope is in the material and what that money will do, not in the eternal and what that prayer will do. But let's get even more in-depth. Let's, let's criticize ourselves a little bit. If there is someone right now in our minds, maybe it's a famous pastor or theologian, maybe one of the ones we like to pick on, Right? I'm not going to name any, but we do, even I. Or maybe it's somebody in your church. Maybe it's in your small group, Bible study, class, that you know, you think, yeah, they don't, they're not right about this area of theology. They need to grow. They need to get smart. They need to think like I think. If you're anywhere in that spectrum and you don't pray for that person, you are no better. If I don't pray for that person, I am no better. And that's an easy trap to stumble into, isn't it? Yeah, they don't have theology right. They got the wrong idea about God in this area, so I don't even have to think about them anymore. As soon as they get right, then I'll care. That's the flesh. Who was right that Jesus would come down and save because they had it right? No one. Nobody. Everyone was wrong, and Jesus went anyway because it was the will of the Father. Well, the will of the Father now is, yeah, there's people around you. They don't have it right. And you know what you're called to do? Help them. Lift them up. And what's the best way? Pray. God, save them. Convert them. Change their mind about that doctrine. Make them like you. We should never dust our feet 
without prayer. You may dust your feet. I may send someone out, but never without prayer. Because without prayer, I was doing it. And my sinful, corrupted mind probably has it wrong. Prayer lets me know that I am right in the will of God. Now let's talk about a little bit of wisdom and revelation. Back to Ephesians. In verse 17, it says, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. I love that phrase. That is a book title waiting to happen right there. Father of glory. Probably someone's already done it. That's a sermon series at least. Father of glory. And Paul moves past the point. Doesn't even articulate on it. He says, this Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, we all want this. Let's be honest. We all want to be the one in the, in the Bible study, in the class, in the sermon, in the Sunday school, wherever it is, we want to be the one who has the wisdom. We want to be the one that other people go, oh, wow, they're so smart. They're so spiritual. I even came up with a, a funny phrase about being humble. And I, I always tell people that, oh, I'm, I'm no good at being humble. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really prideful. I'm no good at being humble. Do you hear that? Do you hear that fake spirituality? That fake humbleness about not being humble? We all want to be the one who has revelation. Oh, you're not right about this thing, but I am. Let me enlighten you. And that may happen. You may know something someone else doesn't know. But the only reason you know it is that God revealed it to you. What did you come up with on your own that God does not already ordain, much less know about? So there should never be a place in the church where a person is lording information over another. This is why this preaching role has to be so careful. Because you pay me to sit there all week and study things that you are out working to pay me and you can't study. But some of you do anyway and you're off time. So this role has to be careful because I may know something that you don't know and I have to not lord it over you in my flesh. I must remember always, I only know because God told me. I only know because I read it in God's word. I only know because God graciously revealed it to me. You guys with me on that? I really appreciate it when some of y'all compliment me and call me smart. I really do. I go home and I write it down and I stick it on my board. I don't do that. I do appreciate it. I like it when you say, man, that was such a good sermon. But remember the origin. Remember how I got it and where I got it from. This preaching role is nothing but a servant role in the church. Sometimes it's a janitor role. Sometimes the job up here, the spiritual toilet's clog, and somebody's got to plunge. Someone's got to get it clean. Sometimes Cindy and I do the same job during the week. Sometimes. What I have and what you have and what we all have is only from God. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. The great prophet Isaiah, the one who brings revelation of the Lord. Chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Oh, it's such a good Bible verse. I got to give you a minute to turn there. We can't jump. I can jump from Ephesians to Isaiah because it's in my notes, right? But you guys got to flip the pages, you know. Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 2. 
And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of God. He shall not judge by what he, his eyes see or dis, decide disputes by what his ears hear. Do you see that Isaiah speaking from God just took us out of it? Because without the Spirit, all I have are my eyes and all I have are my ears. And it's the only way I can judge. And this text just told me, no you won't. As soon as you start deciding disputes by your eyes and your ears, you have lost. You have done wrong. You are backwards. If you had done nothing, it would have been better than what you did. I love that standard in Scripture. Be still and know that I am God. That comes in handy sometimes. Because sometimes, if I had done nothing and been still, I would not be in trouble. That's what our kids do, doesn't it? If you had done nothing, it would be better than what you did. Well, sometimes we must do nothing because my eyes, my ears, when they decide disputes, I decide them fleshly. And what's the flesh do? It always turns everything to its own glory. So what happens? I turn it to my opinion and what I think. There's nothing worse, nothing worse in the Christian body than saying, well, I think, and then having no scripture associated with your thought. Not the same thing as, well, this text, this is how I see it. That's totally different. But I think. I'm so glad Jesus didn't go with I think, because his I think was, Lord, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. But instead, your will, not mine. Are you deciding disputes with your eyes and your ears? Are you leading your home, leading your class, leading your area of the church on your own fleshly power? Because if you are, not only are you in error, but you're leading others in error. Instead, let the ears take in the sounds and let the eyes take in the sight and then submit what you hear and see to the word of God to see if it is of the Spirit. The word wisdom here gives insight into the true nature of things. And revelation is an unveiling of the object discussed, in this case, God himself. The purpose in having this wisdom in revelation is that you may know God, him, the Lord, better. The Greek in the phrase is in knowing of him. This knowing refers not to abstract knowledge about God or objective facts about him, but knowing him personally and intimately. Anyone can list facts. Anyone can Google God and start talking about Him. But without the Spirit, there is no power. Without the Spirit, there is no authority. Without the Spirit, there is no presence of God. All of human philosophy, and I'm quoting Harold Homner in his commentary, says, all philosophy says, know thyself. And in the flesh, we like that. Because I think of myself as pretty good. So yeah, why shouldn't I know myself better? In fact, that's my favorite character in the story. Me. I want to learn more about him. Isn't he handsome, right? Philosophy says, know thyself, whereas Christianity says, know God through Jesus Christ. This is what separates the Spirit of God from human minds. All human knowledge can do is bring us to know ourselves. And what are we apart from God? Pain, death, 
and sin. The Spirit teaches us of God and reveals the hidden things that the human mind cannot understand. Go to Romans chapter 8. One of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And I love this verse. Because, oh, this verse cuts out so much of the junk. Gets rid of so much of the fleshly thoughts and opinions. Romans 8, 26. 8, 26. Again, our Apostle Paul, he's describing what the Spirit does. And in verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Pay attention. For we did not know what to pray for as we ought to. We don't even know what to pray. Without God leading us, we're praying for, Dear Lord, I really want that Ferrari and that shiny bike. I really want a million dollars, please. If you give it to me, I'll gladly accept. This Bible verse is telling us that we don't even know what we should be praying for. That we're praying for the wrong things. Someone has to help. And who was sent to help? The Spirit Himself intercedes, that is to come in the middle, for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Spirit is interceding between you and God to intercede so that you don't pray for the wrong thing, you don't have the wrong conversation with God, so that you listen to what God is saying. He intercedes and explains to your heart what God wants with groanings too deep for words. I love that because we don't do that. We can't groan at each other and get communication across, can we? If I spent the rest of the sermon going like a stomachache, you'd be like, this is weird. <laughs> don't really understand what's going on. I think Josh needs a Tums. <laughs> But the Spirit is groaning. Groaning for you. It is making a sound that you and I can't even understand. It is interceding. It is explaining things about God to your heart that you can't even understand yet. Have you ever been that deep in prayer? I think this is why Jesus already told us, get into the prayer closet. Because when it comes, it's about to groan. It's about to do some things in you. You can't even understand. You might want to be alone and in a place without distractions when that happens. Groaning's too deep for words. This is when I worship God the most, when I completely get lost and immersed in Him. And I'm not quoting theology. I may not even be reciting the song perfectly. I'm just lost in God. I hope you do that. I hope you get lost sometimes. Because I love theology, and I love being right about theology. And I love people patting me on the back and telling me I was right about theology. But you know what's better? Having the Spirit of God intercede for me. And I may not even understand what God wants yet, but I know that what I'm doing is what God wants. See, we get into arguments with ourselves and others. Someone else knows better. Someone else knows what you should do. And they may have good advice, but this, this verse, let this guide you more than any human wisdom, and especially your own. I want groanings too deep for words. 
I want the Spirit interceding for me. I want God to speak to my heart. Verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's why we're called not to grieve the Spirit, because He knows the will of God. He was sent as the comforter to bring the will of God and enact it in our lives, and you and I listen to that Spirit instead of ourselves. Do not trust your own mind. Your own mind is fake and a liar and will cause you to consider sin as holy and righteousness as something you don't even want. Don't trust it. Trust only the Holy Spirit who intercedes on our behalf to God the Father. The Holy Spirit teaches us wisdom, teaches us the very heart of God. And how do we confirm the heart of God? The Scripture of God. As Jesus said to Satan himself, you live not by bread, I'm going to paraphrase, but by the Word of God. That's how you know what the Spirit is telling you is right. Because I'll be honest, there are some days I've had thoughts that I later found out was last night's tacos. Sounded really good that night, but the next day in the clear morning was like, that was really stupid. <laughs> I'm not sure why I thought that was a good idea. And then when I have a thought that I say, Lord, I think that's from you. Then I go into the Word. There I find the confirmation. I'll give you a specific example because I like specifics. Generalities are fun and nice, but they don't really help sometimes. So specific example, let's say I'm dealing with somebody. Uh, you know, I don't want to call it an actual situation and embarrass anybody. Let's just say hypothetically, fake situation. Uh, I got somebody who's like, man, I just, I just don't want to come to church. I love God. I love Jesus. I'm saved. I praise God. I worship, but I just don't like God. And I go, okay, I have my own thought about that, which is, I wish you were here every time the doors were open. I miss when I'm away and I'm not here. I want to be here. So in my own mind, I want you to be here every single time. But then I go into the scripture. What does it say? It doesn't say be here every time. The word says don't neglect to meet together. Which means your vacation you went that happened to fall over a Sunday and you missed local church is not sinful. <laughs> Those of you who have to work on Sundays, God is proud of you taking care of your family. But those who neglect, those who don't care about the body of Christ, they're the ones in error. You guys understand that? That's a specific example. I felt one way, but even the way I felt is not right. Who's right? The Word of God is right. Then that Spirit intercedes for me, the pastor, and I say to that person, hey, you need to be in church because it sounds like you don't care. And I think you should. But it also lets me, and I've done this many times, say to the person who's telling me their struggle with, I have to work and I don't want to work, I want to be at church, and I get to encourage them and say, no, the Lord is proud of you. You're doing what God wants because you are taking care of your family. Your family's in here rejoicing because of you. And that happens more than once. And I love encouraging. It's usually men, no offense, ladies, but it's usually men. <laughs> In fact, I just had a conversation with a young man recently, changed jobs, and it kind of messed up his church schedule. And I said, brother, don't, don't, don't despair. God is pleased with you. You're still serving him. You, you're not neglecting. You want to be here. The Spirit always has to intercede. Because even my thought wasn't right. 
what the Spirit is. Now let's turn to my third and final point. But please don't get excited. There are seven subpoints to the final point. Some of those have subpoints. I'm not even on the last page of my notes. All right. Back in Ephesians, verse 17 and 18, it says, God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, is giving spirit and wisdom. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Enlightened. The Greek word here is talking about a public disclosure of what had been kept secret. Other ways to translate it into English are, I shed light upon. I enlighten, I bring to light. So, this is a story of my cousin and I, when we were young kids, at Manatee Springs. I think one of Amy Woods' sons was there, palling around with us, I think. We're out at Manatee Springs, and we were out looking at the river, and it was dark, we had our flashlights, and we said, hey, I wonder how many alligators are out here. And one of us, being an alligator expert at 12, amazingly, was like, there's probably none. And I was like, you're foolish, there's probably like three. Then we turn the light on. We shed some light on the subject. Do you know what happens when you shine a light in an alligator's eyes in the river? You know what happens? What happens? They shine, right? It looked like a sea of fireflies in the river. It was like, and it just kept going. Uh, experts, there's like 2,700. What do we do? <laughs> Let's all back down the boardwalk back to the shore. <laughs> We shed some light on the subject and saw the truth. Have you ever been in a dark place, maybe at your house, hopefully not like a gas station bathroom, and felt something crawl across you? Have you ever had that moment happen? Especially the unnatural feeling of eight legs go across your hand? I have been in attics where I almost came through the ceiling because something crawled on me and I got Pentecostal. I got in the spirit. I was like, Lord, i got to get out of here. (laughs) Somebody help me. I'm I'm about to die. (laughs) How much better is it to shed light on the subject and see what it is? Sometimes that can be even worse, right? One other story. One time I went underneath a nice, sweet old lady's house. I was helping her out with some electrical problems. And I I opened the little door to, you know, skirting. And I'm starting to crawl in, and I feel something. And a lot of light was still shining in, so I didn't turn on my headlamp yet. And I'm like, what is this stuff? And I, and I started just to like sweep it all away. Then I thought, oh no, this might be like some heirlooms down here. I don't know. So I turned my headline, headlamp on, and it was a rattlesnake skin. And it looked fresh. And I was like, yeah. And so I just backed out. Came back with a stick looking, you know, like, where are you at, Mr. Snake? <laughs> Think about the Old Testament when God sheds light on a subject. Think about the pillar of fire that led the Israelites. Think about Moses, who saw the shirt tail of God, had his face shining after they had to cover him up. When God sheds light, nothing is hidden. When God reveals, nothing is kept secret. Go to Psalm 19, verse 8. That's a lot of funny stories, but I could tell you horror stories of God dealing with me spiritually and shining a light in my life and pointing out to me sins I had not yet repented of. That's horrific. Finding a rattlesnake skin, that's kind of funny. but Realizing I was harboring evil within my own soul. 
When God shines the light, nothing is hidden. Psalm 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The commandment, the law, the word. This is why scripture is so important. And it sounds like a Sunday school cheesy answer to read your Bible, but we really need you to read your Bible. Because you guys are smart and articulate, and we need you helping us to see the will of God. For our church, for our community, for our town, for our people, we need you. It enlightens the eyes. Reading scripture is literally the light bulb coming on. How many times have you read the Bible and suddenly you saw something? I've never seen that before. That is like my most chaste moment. I am chasing that feeling ever since I got converted. When I find something, Lord, I did not see that before. You talk about a serotonin boost. That's a spiritual boost. The commandment of God, the thing that in the flesh we go, oh, God's rules and laws. He doesn't want us to have any fun. He's always telling us to quit doing what we want to do. This verse says, no, you got it wrong. God's commandments rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It brings joy. All right, now I want you to jump over to the New Testament again. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be here for quite a while. Probably the end. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 32. And then we're going to move through some verses. Hebrews 10.32. The text says, Recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Any of you struggled after your conversion? Anybody in here suffered even after Jesus entered your heart? There is suffering in this Christian faith. We must never assume that because God loves us, we will then avoid pain and suffering. We are in fact called to be like Christ. Do you agree? Did Christ not suffer? Did Christ not die? Did Christ not live again? And in being like Him, we may die. But conformed in Him, we shall live again. What does Paul say also in Romans? This light affliction, this momentary time of pain. Go to verse 34. But you, even while you were suffering, even while you were, uh, I'm sorry, I skipped verse 33. I'm sorry, verse 33. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. I heard a quote from, Benjamin Franklin to John Adams, I read it. I don't know how true it is. It wasn't a primary source. But he told John Adams, he said, hey, you insulted Dickinson when they were arguing about independence. He said, you can call a man an idiot or a fool in private, and he may even thank you. But when you do it in public, he'll start to believe you're serious. How much worse is it in public? I have heard children say to parents, I've even said to my own children, do not embarrass me. Right? At home, you can all scream and go nuts, and I'll just sit here like, oh, I'm so tired. But out in public, like, 
I will end you. <laughs> we'll go. We'll fall back on that classic parenting phrase of love and joy. I brought you in, and I will take you out. <laughs> he says, "You have been publicly exposed, publicly humiliated, publicly persecuted for the Christian faith." Go on to verse thirty-four. But even though that was happening, even though you suffered and suffered publicly, you had compassion on those who were in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How can we, in suffering and in pain, being persecuted and killed, how can we have compassion on those in prison, those who are guilty, those who are, who are not innocent, how can we joyfully accept the plundering of our property? Only in Christ can you do the next part of the verse. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession than an abiding one. When I'm trusting in a better possession, when I'm trusting in an abiding Savior, they can take all they want of my property. They'll never get my soul. I can have compassion on the most wicked of those around me because I was wicked before God and He had compassion on me. We can be joyful over losing everything in this life if we trust only in our spiritual possession, our faith, our repentance, our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I have that, they can have it all. They can have everything I am. Because in glory, in eternity, I will have Christ forever. What more does the Christian need? This is in fact a good test of faith. If we sorrow over the loss of physical earthly things, it perhaps tells us we are trusting too much in the earthly, and we instead should trust only in the eternal. Verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. Come on, Christians, get excited about that. I know the delay feels so long. God, when are you going to return and, and fix this world? Take us to glory. We can be confident and have hope. Our God will not delay. However, His appearing will come at the appointed time. Trying to figure out the day Jesus is going to return is a fool's errand because Scripture specifically tells us so. No one will know the day. Only God. And why does God do that? Because if He did tell us a day, 2025, right? Or who knows when. We would all be like, all right, I'm going to keep serving him until that day, but as soon as that day comes, I'm, that's it. I'm giving up. That's not how God set up Christianity. How did he set up Christianity? Let me think. Oh, yeah, walk by faith and not by sight. We don't know when the day is. One of my favorite preaching moments when you're talking about the rapture or the return of God is to say it could come in 5,000 years or it could come in the next five seconds. Five one thousand. 
All right, not yet. I got to keep preaching then. All right, so <laughs> the coming one will not delay, verse 38, but my righteous one, that's you and I, shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Who's the we there? That's the church. That's all who have repented and believed in Christ. That is all who claim the faith of Christ for their life. We do not shrink back. We do not give up. We do not fail because our Savior does not fail. Those who have faith preserve their souls. Your soul is preserved today. It's preserved because of what Christ has done. We can be confident in this faith. Those who shrink back, they demonstrate their faith was based around their merit. We who have true faith, we who trust in Jesus Christ, we who repent and believe on Him, we have our souls preserved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be enlightened today? You want to have the eyes of your heart open? You can study all the theology you want. You can get all the degrees you want. You can pray and read all the Bible you want. But unless you have repented and believed in the light of the world, Jesus Christ, you will never be enlightened. He is the light. And he was sent to fix this dark world and more importantly, this dark heart. He is who you need to be enlightened. You want wisdom? You want revelation? You want your heart open? And go to the one who opens the heart. Trust in the Savior who shines light on the subject. And then follow that path of light. Just like the Israelites did through the desert. Follow the light of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much. Your scripture is so clear. I don't have to work my way to this light. I don't have to pay for this light. I don't have to attend every service and read every, every dot and tittle. Lord, to know that if I repent of sin, if I trust in the name Jesus Christ, then that light will be placed in me. The Spirit will intercede for me. I will follow the path of righteousness and my heart will be enlightened to the will, the worship, and the very heart of God. Lord, I ask this for us today. In your name I pray. Thank you.